You're from Earth? No, ma'am. I'm from Alabama. Welcome to the Hoovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Jace. And tonight we're actually going back to 1965 and we're going to rate the story The Chase, which was a William Hartnell story, the final story for Ian and Barbara, uh, the two first companions to the Doctor. And a behemoth six-parter of a story. This is like a two-and-a-half-hour adventure. Exactly. And uh, rightfully so. This was kind of Daleks at epic level and proportions because we were hopping around the universe. And through time. And through time. And sand. Which, and you sand. know, the, the Daleks hadn't jumped through time before, right? No, this is the first time they had a time machine. Obviously, we don't know how they got the time machine or where it came from. But All we know is they had a giant goose chase with the Doctor, and it went seemingly nowhere for a long time. <laughs> yes. Well, starting off on a planet where, you know, fish people are fighting land octopuses, and, you know, the Daleks <laughs> threaten to blow up the fish people, and Sounds then they like turn on the Doctor. doctor like yeah. A it, tale is as old as time. Yeah, it, it seemed like... A, <laughs> Been on the boring side, kind of normalish Doctor Who episode, and, and then, then it was we end up with like giant, like circular robots somehow. Just I don't know how we get from like oh, squid, yeah. then to yeah, well, fish you... to robot. Well, what I didn't like get about like when I when I first yeah. saw the mechan <laughs> the mechanoids or the mechanons or whatever mechanoids mechanoids, um, I thought, huh, okay, I could see how it. You know, a mechanical species could evolve in that way. Maybe you could have solar panels all over the outside. But then when they explained that they were sent there by humans to build and maintain a city, I'm like, that is not the appropriate shape for robots that are supposed to be building cities. You didn't know the future. Maybe that would work. But I know engineering enough. Okay, I know. It's <laughs> pretty durable. Who knows what parts are coming out of there and if they could split up. It's a multiple parts. Or they have these little spindly little arms. I don't know. They were enough to take on Daleks. I mean, come on. It, it, I think sure, that... I talk about spindly arms. Okay. <laughs> we are talking about the BBC in 1965. Their budget for this particular six-part story was about the same as about five minutes of an episode of Doctor Who is today. Well, you know... Was this really great I, for its time? I, I do have to say, I liked the attack like the fungus. Yeah. The, I, I think the set designs were pretty solid for this particular story. I would agree. Oh, for yeah. the most part. I mean, yeah. Did they actually go to New York? They didn't, did they? No, they not, did not go to actual New York for this. Um, and of course, New York was one of the humorous side of things for this particular story. I think one of the problems with that that a lot of people have with this story is that there is a lot of cheese factor. I the love doubt- cheese as a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like cheese in my Doctor Who, just not in my meals. Well, it kind of, you know, 
worked out well in a kind of like a you know addressed to things that seem sort of you know like they should happen in Doctor Who where one person is sitting there going oh my god you guys are from a movie that's an amazing trick show me how you do it and then the other one of where they land in uh you know haunted house attraction at a carnival I did not expect that and I honestly was living forward and how it was like well people believe in this so it must be real somewhere somehow and as soon as just... I saw the bat I was like please let this be fake yeah I, I saw the but bat like, but like, like, like how just a... like the Mary Celeste they just ended that little like story or vignette with just like a sign where like oh Frankenhouse of Horrors exactly <laughs> 10 cents I, I think what what's kind of neat about this story is that it's similar in a sense to the Keys of Marinus, where you're actually basically hopping from one place to another, and each little area that you're at has its own little story to tell. And it's vastly different from the sands of the first planet, which I can't remember the name of, to um, obviously the Mary Celeste, to New York, to, um, to the Fun House, and then finally to Mechanus. Yeah, I thought that. Uh, and then back to Earth. On the on the on the Mary Celeste, you know, man, just that Dalek just jumping off the side of the ship. Honestly, I mean, because that human had jumped like a solid five to ten seconds before that Dalek went over the edge, seemingly by accident. Yeah, and then the <laughs> the cap of his armor with his all uh, eye stock just falls off from where <laughs> the water. Like this is the thing that I want to bring up, just like. The Daleks of today and in, uh, like, our modern era, one Dalek destroys the world and can take over as a major threat. Here, they're fumbling over each other. A guy playing Frankenstein, you know, in back of a horror picture, just picks one up and throws one over. Well, it creates complete chaos. And then we have the mother just, like, in general being a little bit more hokey. Oh, oh my God, like that one Dalek who, you know, repeatedly kept getting asked questions and he would just be like uh 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 oh well it's uh this <laughs> this time <laughs> like they were so much more of a comedic factor oh my than God. they are today i do have to say it was force. it was like comedic and also a little bit you know disconcerting with the daleks going around with the whole uh, hitler salute thing going on and stuff oh, i mean obviously God. they're they're based on nazis but yeah that was a little creepy i mean how do you guys feel about that because like in modern who we the Daleks being like Colin said that like one threatening figure you see one Dalek and like you're screwed and then like with the classic Daleks they're just kind of like more jokey and like more funny and entertaining I think it's kind of a simple explanation is that no it is a simple explanation the Daleks... just ask me how do you feel about the Daleks like which version do you like well best, I, or... I think that the Daleks you know because they grow stronger and more fierce through fighting the Doctor, and the Doctor grows stronger and more fierce through fighting them. I mean, they both evolved at a relatively similar rate, where the Doctor and the Daleks are, you know, close to evenly matched. So, relative to the Doctor, I don't think there's been a big change, so I think that it, it always works out. I mean, the scale of what the Doctor does in Modern Who is also much, you know, larger more of the time yeah and stuff yeah. so I, I think that it, it's kind of it works no i think it absolutely works because keep in mind this is the time before the time war and the doctor and the dollars are just kind of like toying with each other like tom and jerry almost yeah but then like it gets real later on you know 
Well, yeah, I think there's a disconnect. There is a bit of a disconnect because the two. I, I know not everybody here has seen the Daleks and the Dalek Invasion of Earth, where they are a bit more ruthless than they are even in this story. And so, obviously, these Daleks have a time machine. They must be from a very early point in the Dalek timeline, um, and they're just a really bad band of Daleks that just can't get their stuff together. And so I think one of the issues that a lot of fans had was that you did have this disconnect from having the Daleks be so substantially horrifying, especially in the Dalek Invasion of Earth, which was the uh, story where Susan actually leaves. And and that was actually a very compelling story, definitely in my, probably my top two William Hartnell stories. And it's, it, then you come to this story, which is the third one, and it's a bit of a letdown because the Daleks really are kind of I mean they're falling off of the Mary Celeste like like for no reason and yeah, although really... to be fair most people fell off the Mary Celeste for no reason <laughs> um, well yeah but the Dalek didn't need well, to pursue yeah. and, and honestly I was I was shocked when the Dalek didn't kill that Alabama guy and everyone on the Mary Celeste and everything, because I'm just so used to the Daleks storming through and, you know, maybe taking information, but then exterminating everyone. Well, for for that, I think that the idea was that they were chasing the Doctor, so they right. had really no time to spend exterminating. They just needed to get out of there. Plus, he was really unnecessary to the yeah, Daleks' but the, plot. The, yeah, but the Daleks have always thought, you know, at least... For most of what I've seen, they've uh, been more of the opinion of, well, you're unimportant to me, therefore I should kill you because I don't need you alive. That's true. And we see some of that in, in the desert, too. You know? Yeah. We certainly With have the Iridians. Of, uh, in the character throughout it, but, uh, yeah, it's different. I think, I think from what, if I went back to my old, old my 11-year-old self, actually, so my young 11-year-old self, um, when I first saw this story... I remember watching the Dalek come out with the guy from Alabama was talk, laughing at him. And even though that was a funny part to that sequence, as an 11-year-old, I, I felt the terror of knowing full well what the Dalek was capable of and knowing full well that this guy is probably asking for it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I was with you. That's why I was so shocked that you didn't yeah. kill him. And that's and why I was kind of mad, because you, when we first saw that scene, you were like, oh, this poor guy. And the second I saw the Dalek, I'm like, okay, he's going to die. <laughs> yeah, so but that no, just, time I was maybe like, he just gets carted off to the madhouse, you know, afterwards. But either, well, either way, it's a probably a scary experience. Honestly, it kind of sounds like, you know, it could be a good experience. He might just go home and have some wacky story of New York and, you know... That, well, the reason why I said poor guy was because, yes, he is left with his uh, mental stability in question. And uh, obviously he did see everything that happened, but he can't prove it because he never took his picture. <laughs> yeah, I think Michael's right. I think the reason why he gets out unscathed is because the Dalek is under time pressure, just like the people in the Mary Celeste who, you know, seemingly never got back on the boat after the Dalek's left, you know, 30 seconds after jumping off. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, but, if you jump off a ship, then you're going to death, knowingly. So they obviously thought that whatever the Daleks could do to them, it would be worse than drowning. Um, going back to the haunted house, 
Um, one of the reasons why the Frankenstein monster probably was able to pick up a Dalek was because it was, in fact, a an android of sorts. Well, itself. yeah, they were. That's And that's kind of why I thought it was a haunted house, because all of the characters were moving very mechanically and just saying very simple phrases, not being responsive. Yeah, and, and, and I get that, but, I that. mean, taking it back to, you know, the Dalek menace of today, you never see a lot of human-engineered, you know, technology... Um, and mechanical forces, you know, out-competing the Davros, you know, constructed ones. But mm-hmm. we Davros have... constructed all of them. Yeah, but uh, just like, uh, no, but the, the, human, uh, the human-made Frankenstein android and the human-made mechanoids, yeah. they're, they're just tearing these Daleks apart, you know, with no problem when... Really, they're destructive forces against human technology. Although, to be fair, the, the, the really mechanoids did just blow themselves and the Daleks up, so... Eventually, but they were they were forced to be reckoned yeah, with, even without that's, that's for a sure. self-destruct mechanism. And we saw that. And those ones were probably from the future. Now, it kind of gave me the impression that the Funhouse one was... Like not from the future. I it guess. was. It was in terms of this story. It, you could actually see the date listed. Oh, on what did it, it, it say? It said 1997. Oh, so gotcha. technically, this was in the future, from or based on the time that this story was created. Okay, so then feasibly, the I, the idea was that human technology would advance so far in that time that they could take on the Daleks. Well, not necessarily take them on. They they just weren't affected by their weaponry. Because what a, a Dalek weapon does is it discombobulates the organic insides of its victims. Uh, but it, but it but it seems it to take out the mechanoid. It was taking out the mechanoids because I guess their weaponry was able to. It, oh, yes, it did take out the mechanoid. So it should have been able to take out the android. Not necessarily. Or the automaton, really. Well, let me say at this state, at this point in time, if you all out there get a chance to listen to the um, audio story, The Juggernauts, which is with Colin Baker and with um, uh, Melanie, is the companion. She actually is very good in the story. Then definitely listen to The Juggernauts because it will explain more about the mechanoids and you will find out what's going on with them and, and their relationship with um, this story here at The Chase. So what you're suggesting here is that there's actually a reason that it explains There is that. a reason that explains it, yes. Oh, okay. Cool. So then the dogs couldn't take out the Frankenstein thing because it was purely mechanical. And there's another reason why it could take out the mechanoid. Correct. Cool. I like the theory, but it still seems glaring that these are weaker Daleks than I'm used to. Yes, yes. They definitely are. Well, and that's one of the issues with this story is that the Daleks really aren't, don't seem to be much of a menace other than the fact that they keep chasing down the Doctor and through time and space. popping out of the sand and yeah, sending I wanted to get to as well. I don't really understand even, you know, what was the convoluted explanation for why the Daleks could catch up and, you know, they had to be in a rush and they couldn't just, like, time travel to exactly where the Doctor was or was going to be later. It, it didn't really make sense to me. I should point out, though, that the, the reverse periscope, as you pointed out, actually probably was from the mechanoids, because it was from the city itself, not the Daleks. Oh. That was, that's how the mechanoids knew to come down and, and get the... I think you're the, right. The okay, you got me there. ...doctor and the, and the companions. What did you all think of the mechanoids? You're just going to ignore Colin's question? It's, oh, it's, sorry. It's, unex, it's unexplainable. <laughs> I think I'm right. 
<laughs> there you go. What was your question again? No, but why, uh, why, why the time lag, and why uh, are the Daleks always like catching up a little bit more? I, I didn't understand why the Daleks need to be in a rush when they have a time machine. I, I rarely understand how that's a. Uh, well, given the fact that there is time as an issue here, we could be possibly going into a previous encounter with the Daleks before they, the do- the Doctor had met them before. Or at least before the Dalek invasion of Earth, when they're pretty substantial in that story. I followed none of what you just said. It in other words, they. In other words, these are Daleks from a previ- from before they were ruthless killing machines. So you're saying these are Daleks between the Daleks and the Dalek invasion of Earth? I think so. And but weren't fact, they built to be ruthless killing machines? I mean, they were built to win a war. Right, but if you think about the original Dalek story, they're actually not able to leave their own city because they need the magnetic forces of their of the flooring from their city in order to get around. So if you think about it, the, the first Daleks that we encounter with the first Doctor are vastly different than anything we got from Genesis of the Daleks and, and any Dalek story that pretty much came after the Dalek story. So they basically have been rewritten as time has gone on. Now, the one explanation is that there have been multiple facets of Daleks. There have been multiple versions of Daleks. And we have seen some of that, so... Yes, we've seen some of that. For sure. I mean, if you, if you go to the 1980s, you've got all these stories in which um, the the... Two Davros actually, yeah, there's or... two factions of Daleks. Davros's faction and the original Daleks that keeps finding a way to make a new supreme ruler. He always ends up being the black ruler. <laughs> the black Dalek. But at any rate, um, yeah. I think no, one I, time it was red. Yeah, I think in the David Tennant era, yeah. At any rate, um, what did y'all think of the mechanoids? I thought... Uh, that they were, I, I was a lot more excited for them than they ended up being. <laughs> they just sort of were, you know. They're innocuous. great at creating explosions and, you know, imprisoning people. Yeah. Chase? I thought it was interesting how they started out just being like the doctor and the companions, like saver, saviors, and then over time it's like, oh yeah, by the way, you're kind of prisoners here, and then they just kind of go to war with Daleks. I was just like, okay, that was an interesting storyline for these characters. Well, it's kind of a good way to imprison people, make them feel like they're guests until you leave them into their cell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do want, I do question the fact, why did the mechanoids imprison Stephen Taylor and, and the Doctor and the Companions in the first place? If they were already human-created Robots that were supposed to create the city for humans. Well, it wasn't a good explanation, but Stephen Taylor said that the reason was because they needed to have a special code to indicate to the mechanoids that they were the humans that the mechanoids were expecting. So uh, yeah. until yeah, they got that code, there were some they... sort of wars that were going on. So they didn't want to mistake them for, I guess, enemy humans. Uh, that's true. That's true. They also probably just. But, I mean, at least they were keeping them alive. They weren't just destroying them. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they were, wanted to grab them to cultivate new humans for their colony. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Poor Vicky. Well, could you imagine two years of, you know, complete isolation? It's surprising he's not weirder. Well, yeah. I mean, he obviously, the, the one aspect of his weird relationships was with his little teddy bear, which... 
Well, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> He's got to have someone to talk to during all those two years. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that he wasn't a complete raving lunatic. Yeah, exactly. And But I I thought that the way Steven Taylor reacted to them coming in was kind of interest was actually pretty well done. I think yeah, that, yeah. That's one, where, one part of this story that succeeds was that with, even with the Iridians, they, they tend to find, like, the humanoid characters tend to stick out as uh, really well acted. I mean, you, there's a believability with how Steven is like, yeah, I've been here so long. Yeah. Despite him not being as weird as you say, he still is in he, shock. That and deliriously even, happy. And, yeah, you know, exactly. The reactions you would expect from someone. Exactly. You know, not the, like, dark suspicion, but more of the, like, oh, he my goodness, like, you're thank real. goodness you're here. <laughs> I should point out that the actor who played Steven Taylor also plays the Alabama born citizen that was on top of the Empire State Building, which you probably already knew. <laughs> no, that went over my head. Wow. Well, I, I only go. knew because you told me beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he did a pretty good job of distinguishing the two different well, characters. Well, plus they, they were, they were a few weeks apart. Black and white, too. And it was a few weeks apart when it got aired. True. The, oh, and what do you all think about the Daleks coming up with a uh, killer doctor robot. Oh, I thought that was way more subtle than the Daleks' normal plans. In fact, that yeah. I thought was the best thing the Daleks did. I mean, you know. I kind of wish they would bring that kind of back, or like something similar to that back. They they did. Um, they did. With the Dalek puppets where they take over the corpses and reactivate their memories to facilitate disguises and I've never There's kind of a weak doctor though. I mean like the humans of of the nineteen nineties definitely make more superior androids than the Daleks do. Yes. That's true. I was surprised when like all the companions were like, this one's clearly the doctor. It's like, no, that one's obviously the robot. What are you talking about? And then the doctor himself, you know, can just kinda Push him over. Yeah. <laughs> well, he knew where, obviously the doctor knew where his, whatever his power source was. I'm guessing that if the doctor wanted to take Yeah, it looks like he ripped out wires. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's true, but uh, they tangled beforehand. Their strength was pretty well matched. I well, mean, that part accurate. actually makes sense because if the Daleks were trying to create a very believable copy of the doctor, they couldn't make him super strong or anything. Or well, people they would could, know. I, I don't think, uh, I think they could make him a lot stronger than he appears to be, and I think he could, you know, be on a weaker, you know, strength mode, but it was not just that he wanted to infiltrate. They also wanted him to kill. Yeah, that's true. And he needed that strength to kill. Like, it was really going to be a weaker form of the Doctor, trying to hit people over the head with his cane? Was that the plan? (laughs) I guess so. I mean, it seems kind of a weak plan. Yeah. I don't know. I, I... I also thought it was quite obvious that when you had the two doctors together, the robot doctor and the doctor himself, it was quite obvious who the actual doctor was. Which, kudos to the actor for that, because I thought it was really obvious, too. Yeah, I mean, for the for the most part, I mean, obviously they dubbed William Hartnell's voice over the actor who actually played the robot right. doctor. And to be fair, I mean, with the grainy black and whiteness that we had... It was harder to tell from the distance who was who, and that was kind of what they were going for. We didn't have too many up close shots. It was basically only when when Ian or when Ian 
when uh, Vicky and Barbara realize he's not the actual doctor because of what he says, that's more obvious in that scene. But uh, I thought that was kind of eerie. I mean, even my 11-year-old self or 10-year-old self, uh, when I first saw it, was like, whoa, that is kind of, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Cool. Should we rate this? We should rate this. All right, so I'll, I'll start with rating this. There's some good things, there's some bad things. Um, this is an interesting episode. It was definitely long. Um, I think for the plot and for the whole story, there's a lot that it could do without, but a lot of the extra things were humorous, and there's a lot of charm here. Um, and I thought the black and white, while normally I'm very against, I think it also illustrates some nice advantages to me, especially with the creepiness factor. And, you know, disguising one Steven Taylor from another. <laughs> um, I, I like my doctors older and more crotchety. William Hart now, I, I like this view of him. Um, just like I like Peter Capaldi. I know that they're, they're still very different characters, but there's something similar about that realm that I love in my doctors. Um, I also thought the companions were all uh, surprisingly competent in their own way that I didn't expect to see from this era. I, I expected a lot more damseling, um, which, you know, there was some, but mostly just in some screams and some ohs. But, you know, everybody was really on their game. I mean, everybody climbed down a 1,500-foot, you know, cable um, and did a lot of other feats, you know, escaping from Daleks and uh, running through uh, weird mushroom jungles on their own. Um, so that, that was all good. Um, but, you know, I do just think we have evolved in our storytelling over the past, you know, 40-plus years. Um that we've been and you know the pace for this episode uh was enough to um just slow me down and lose me at times um but i really liked seeing another view of it um as well going back in time and seeing what the classic doctor who was all about for me this six episode story the chase is getting a six out of ten all right okay so my turn so I agree a lot with what Colin said. I like my doctors a little bit more, I don't know, is the word like feistier, like angrier, or just like crotchety? Yeah, crotchety, there we go. I don't know, because my favorite doctor is also Peter Capaldi, much like his. So I really appreciated that in seeing um, Hartnell's stories. The one thing I did have an issue with is the same issue I have with a lot of classic Who, is just the storyline just being too drawn out. I did fall asleep for a small portion of this because it didn't really keep me engaged. But there were some really great elements. Like, one of my favorite parts was the Dalek just, like, you know, going overboard. Or just, like, the little side jokes here and here. And that's what made me laugh out loud. Those were interesting. And I really also did like the whole, like, there's no damsel in distress, like I've been complaining about with more modern who. Like, all the women, all the men kind of held up their weight and had something really valuable and good to contribute to. Um, the situation that they were in. I like that diversity in the monsters. I would never expect to see a mushroom monster anywhere else in most sci-fi <laughs> shows. So I think that really kept me engaged and like curious, curious as to what this was all about. And then we end up with like little squid and then like fish people. I don't know. It just kind of went haywire. It was really interesting. It was really engaging. And I like the crotchetiness of the doctor. But that's kind of me. So I'll probably give this story a 6.5. All right. Um, so on the attack mushrooms, 
If you guys haven't ever heard of slime mold, look it up because there actually is a fungus that was recently discovered that does move around on its own. Mm, no thanks. <laughs> um, anyways, I thought that the first two episodes of this story were pretty boring and should have been made into one episode or largely cut out, um, unfortunately. I, so I thought that put a little bit of damper on it. That said, there were a lot of really funny moments and really great moments. I mean, like Jason Colin have already mentioned, like I thought that Vicky, you know, after getting abandoned in some sort of, you know, what they thought at the time was like non-time, non-space thing, she snuck onto a dollar time machine, remained hidden, broke out, found the TARDIS in the middle of a attack mushroom-infested forest, you know... Staved off all of the mushrooms and like broke her way into the city like by herself. That was amazing. And then you got Ian and Barbara who pilot a time machine across, you know, probably galaxies as well as you know eons, and made it back within you know two years of of when they'd left. It's uh, yeah. So the companions were all quite stellar in this. I also liked the um, variety in. The different monsters and planets. It was very interesting. I think that this was a way that, like, the writers probably had a lot of really great ideas for this or that type of scene or little, you know, story and didn't have a full story to put it in, so they kind of stuck them together. And uh, I'm not opposed to that. I thought that it worked well with the plot, but I it was it was kind of hard seeing the Daleks be so non-menacing. And there were a lot of parts of, of this story overall that were pretty drawn out. That said, I loved the fun house. I thought that was a phenomenal concept of, you know, them landing and actually, you know, attacking it as, like, this is, these are really supernatural things that are happening when, in fact, it's just a trick because they deal with that all the time. Um, so I am going to give this story a 6 out of 10. Well, <laughs> this is one of those stories that, for me, is reminiscent of my childhood. So it has already a substantial uh, remembrance in my mind. I, I really, I, I really attached myself to this story when I was a kid, probably because, most importantly, Ian and Barbara Lee. And I, I thought that was probably one of the best exits of any set of companions that I've ever seen. Um, it was touching, the doctor didn't want them to go, he was calling them idiots because he knew that deep down inside it was the right thing to let him go, but he really didn't want to. Um, the, the human aspect of this entire story actually works quite well. Uh, the first two episodes I do remember when I was a kid were not the most interesting to me, but on the whole I felt that this story was just compelling to watch. Um, and knowing how much of a threat the Daleks were at this point kind of elevated their scariness. Now, granted, now looking at it today and through my adult eyes, because I really haven't seen this since I was a child, um, I can tell that it was obviously... Uh, there were certain parts of it that were not done as well as I could have been expected. And the Daleks themselves were pretty pathetic, and I have to admit that. Um, I think if I was 11 and writing this, it would be easily a 10 out of 10. Um, but I think for my adult self, 
I'm going to give this probably a 5.5 out of 10. Um, given the fact that it is extremely long. And despite some of the other Doctor Who episodes that are very long, but the, they are engaging, they do keep your attention, this one does kind of lose it to, from time to time. Um, granted, my nostalgia factor did work itself in there, so when I was seeing certain sequences that were burnt into my brain, I, I was just like... It, for me, it was more like, oh, my God, that's I remember that. Oh, my goodness, I remember that, too. But and, and that's, I guess, because... I don't think I'll ever forget that Dalek falling off the side of the ship. Me trip. either. That was I so see that funny. in my dreams. And I love how, like, you're like, this is my childhood episode. It's, you know, it means a lot to me for, like, this reason. But also, I'm going to rate it the lowest out of everyone. I know. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm the one who fell asleep during this twice, and I gave it the highest rating. Well, here's Go the thing. Figure. Here's the thing, We're though. I mean... Close. Yeah, we're all very we are, close. We're very close. I have to rate it based on what I think of all Doctor Who stories, and I'm rating it more on more so on like the time it came out than I was like on in general. I mean, okay, granted, I feel like you're six, Colin. Uh, you who else did a six? I did six point five. Six point five. Okay, I think six is actually quite accurate for this. I think five point five for me would be kind of weird. But, I mean, six does make sense. Six for the six parts. <laughs> um, one point per episode. Yeah, one point for every episode. Uh, I think... I, yeah, I'll, I'll make it a six. No, you uh, said 5.5. You can't be influenced. We him into a six. Uh, he can be influenced. I used to do this all the time. I would, like, on the next well, episode, be like, I changed my rating for the previous yeah, episode. Yeah, no. I rarely <laughs> change my rating. I know, because you're, like, stubborn in your ratings, which makes sense. Like, you're, like... Yeah. Jason's becoming more flexible. Don't fight it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to stick at a 6.5, because I kind of like the giant mushroom things. I like the random fish people. I like the weird octopus. And I also oh, just yeah. liked how strong the female characters were only because like in newer who I don't see a lot of that in the companions and that's something that maybe pushed that point five is just seeing really strong women actors who can really just hold their ground and get themselves out of a difficult situation despite the odds. Like who would sneak on to a Dalek ship? Not Mickey. me. Mickey. Oh well yeah. Well she also she had nothing left to lose. She's being abandoned to what she thought mm. was some place that nobody else could get to. I would love to see that whole, like, you know, the whole concept behind that, like, House of Horrors kind of idea explored more like in a Doctor Who episode or, like, a Twilight Zone episode where you just end up in this part of, like, the yeah. universe that isn't time but, like, is time but it's unexplained and, like, is it, like, like this weird purgatory of what's going on? Actually, there are, there there are, are actually some stories, some stories in, in classic Who that are like that. Okay, and you haven't shown them to me, Mike. Wow. Well, you haven't asked. Well, you have to... If I'm obsessed with watching The Twilight Zone and, like, Star Trek, why would you not introduce me to the more existential episodes Show of Show him Celestial Toymaker. The next... It's all the, part of Well, I think the next William Hartnell episode that we're going to be doing, which is The Edge of Destruction, is definitely a very Twilight Zone-esque episode. It's very only two parts. Now I want to watch Star Trek. It's only two parts, so... Well, that will be our next, our next adventure. Our, our next one, are we going to do that right after this, or are we going to go back to Martha? I want to do some more modern Who and then have some classics dipped in. Well, what, do you, what does the audience think? What does the audience think? Give us a heads up on the, um, what's what's words? Um, the Instagram account that we have. And the you can email review. us at thehoobianreview <laughs> at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. This is why you do this. Yeah, if you me. just send us a message on Facebook, it's probably going to be the easiest. We'll, 
we'll see your message and we'll find out what do you want us to rate because there's a lot of stories from classic who that we have not rated we are still almost done with with basically all of new who yep exactly and it'll help us understand our audience better do you guys want to see more of classic who because you feel like new who is like over talked about or do you want to see some of new who and some new ideas and new um or maybe you just want to hear us argue over Doctor Who topics. We Who's can the fight. Doctor? I'm down to fight. Who's the best villain? Who's the worst? Oh, and, and, and why is it all Peter Capaldi? I do have to put a shout out to Colin Baker because you guys are saying older and crotchetier doctors. Well, Colin Baker's my doctor, so yeah. he kind of fits the bill for that one. He's the Anyone Colin. named Colin tends to be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we all love our Collins. Any rate, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.